morning. It's so good to, to see all of you this morning, to worship you with you. It's been a while. I feel like some of us have been traveling these past few months, haven't seen each other for a while. Just by curious, just by show of hands, who has traveled outside of Massachusetts this past summer? It's a good, good number of us. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> now, switching gears, um, have any of you ever been in one of those pay-it-forward drive-through lines? You know, once in a while you hear of something like that going on in the news, right? You know, one customer in a, in a Starbucks drive-thru decides to pay for the order of the next customer. And this customer obviously can't pay back the driver ahead of them, and so they're touched by this gracious act, and they respond by paying for the order of the car behind them, the next customer, and it creates this chain reaction and so on and so forth. And it can go on for a while, right? You know, there's one, uh, one of these paid-for drive-through lines that happened and showed up in the news last year. The streak was 23 cars. But the truth is that these pay-it-for drive-through lines never last. They always end. You know why? Because at some point, someone says something like this guy who ended this 23-car streak. He says, the person's bill behind me was $46 when mine was $6. Right? Basically, the debt I owe is less than the debt owed to me. You know, I'm not paying for that. Right? I receive this act of kindness, but it's not fair for that person to receive the same act of kindness. Have you seen what they've ordered? There's a, there's a video skit uh, online uh, that this comedian filmed, and he, he pulls up to the drive-thru, Maybe you've seen it. And with this kind of heartwarming music playing in the background, he says, you know, I'd like to pay for the guy's meal behind me. You know, just pay it forward. Who knows? Maybe it'll catch on. And the camera zooms in, and he speeds out of the drive-thru and re-enters it so that he ends up as the third car behind the car he just paid for. Hi, can I take your order? 55 burgers, 55 fries, 55 tacos, 55 pies, 55 cokes, 100 tater tots, 100 pizzas, 100 tenders, 100 meatballs, 100 coffees, 55 wings, 55 shakes, 55 pancakes, 55 pastas, 55 peppers, and 155 tater tots. Okay, that would be $680. Calmly pulls forward, and the guy in the second car right, gets out of his car, walks up to the window of the comedian, and is like, nah, uh not paying it. He's like, you have to. It's easier when it's the other way around, right? You drive through Starbucks with your entire family. Your order was $46, and it was paid for by the car in front of you. And the Starbucks employee tells you the order behind you is only $6. Yes, of course. Here's my car. No, no big deal. I, I pay. I got this. Right? And so the nature of these pay-it-forward lines sometimes, I think, reveals to us the nature of our own hearts. That it's easier to receive an act of grace than to extend it. Especially when the cost is high and that comparison that's happening in our hearts kicks in about who deserves what. That there may be situations or even people sometimes that reveal to us our own hearts. That what we think is us showing grace might really be something else. And that maybe we're not as okay with God's grace being worked out and being shown to these people as much as we say we might be okay with that. It's 
Grace is actually, it can be both easy and hard when we think about it, right? To some extent, it's, it's easy in the sense it might be easy to understand, right? It's something that's undeserved. It's this undeserved merit, undeserved gift. It's God giving us what we don't deserve. It can also be hard to accept. Sometimes it's hard to accept for ourselves, right? You know, how can God, God just give me this gift that is salvation, right? It's too easy, like, let me do something. Let me earn it. Like, how am I so beloved that he would do such a thing for me? Now, sometimes it's hard to accept, not for ourselves, like, you know, for us, it's maybe like, hey, you know, free salvation? Like, I'm on that as fast as I'm on those free Costco samples. Like, give me, give me, give me. But it's hard to accept when we think about how it's given to others, how it's shown to others. Like, why does he get God's grace? Have you seen what, what, look at what she did. I'm not going to be part of that. That's not fair. And so as we kick off this new sermon series in the book of Jonah, I think this is part of what we're going to see. That the story of Jonah is about a prophet who hates God or is angry at God for loving his enemies. In this book, how it ends, there's this open-ended ending, and and it poses a question, not just to Jonah, but to us. Are we okay with that? Are we deep down okay with God loving our enemies? We might not say that we have enemies, like, I don't have any enemies, but maybe there's people, or a person, or groups of people, or types of people that, you know, when we think about God showing grace, or us showing grace to them, we have a pause, we hesitate. Now, are we okay with the truth that God's grace and mercy is meant for others as much as it is meant for us? And that we who have experienced God's grace are now called to extend it as well. And so today's message is going to be kind of more of an introduction and overview to the entire book of Jonah. It kind of set our bearings, kind of lay a foundation for us as we uh, go through it to really help us grasp what God is trying to say to us through his word through the book of Jonah and its parts. And so the next four messages over these next few weeks is going to have us diving a little bit deeper into the book of Jonah, into each chapter, seeing how it kind of fits into this broader story of Jonah as a whole, how it fits into God's overarching plan of redemption for the world, and then, you know, how all that impacts us. How do we respond to that? So this morning, one of the first things I want to do is I'm going to have us read through the whole book together in one sitting right now, which might sound a little crazy, but when you think about it, it's only four chapters. You know, we're not doing Genesis. This isn't torture or anything like that. When you think about the the Bible, much of the Bible, all the Bible was meant to be read aloud and to be heard. And so there's a point to all this. You know, Jonah, Jonah is a story. Like many stories, we don't usually stop, or we try not to stop midway. When we're binge-watching uh, Netflix or the latest season, whatever, you know, Netflix has that next episode in five, four, three, and it just keeps going, and you keep going, and you keep going, right? Because you don't want to stop. You want to know what happens. You want to know the whole picture, the whole story. Even take, for example, video clips. You're scrolling through Instagram or YouTube or social media, right? And you're, you come across clips from a TV show that you used to watch or a movie that you've already seen, and that's great. You know, we do that with videos, we do that with scripture too. We, we preach from a set of verses or a chapter here, but those clips, that scripture really only makes sense if we've seen it in context, 
We've seen the TV show or the movie first, and we have a much richer and fuller and deeper sense of what is actually happening in that clip, right? Why that person, what he or she says, why that matters, or why it's significant for the rest of the the story. And so likewise, as we read Jonah together this morning, we're going to have and set the context for when we dive deeper into each chapter in the following weeks. Now, I've asked a few CB brothers and sisters to come up. I'm going to invite them now to come up and have them stand to the side. And they're going to help us with this. So we're not all going to read, but we're going to try and listen to the Word of God. I'm going to invite them to come up now. Normally, we, we preach using the ESV translation, the English Standard Version. It's a little bit more literal. It's a little easier to pick up on and point to, for me at least when I'm preaching, like what's happening here, what's happening uh, in the text here, and, and some of the words and uh, kind of allusions and all that stuff. But for the sake of our ears and for our readers, we're going to be reading aloud from the New Living Translation this morning, which smooths out the English a little bit for us. And so this morning we have Angie, who will read the narration for us. We have John, or Uncle John for some of us, reading for God. We have Ernest, because, you know, <laughs> we have Ernest reading for Jonah, and we have Jamie reading for the sailors and King of Nineveh. So I'm going to turn it over to them, and let's listen together to the word of the Lord. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amatai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went into the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarsus. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarsus. But the Lord heard a powerful wind over the sea, caused a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to the gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hole. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lost to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lords identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered. I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned, and since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him. What should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they repeated, don't make us die for this man's sin, and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent the storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. 
The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now, the Lord has arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out to the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat, sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree through the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread and brought leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. 
The next morning, a down the worm ate through the sting of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew, until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this. He exclaimed, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes. Jonah retorted, Even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God bless the reading of his word. Thank you guys for doing the heavy work of reading for us. Now that we've read through Jonah, what do we need to know about this story to be able to really get at what God is trying to tell us this morning? Well, first, who, who is Jonah? Who is this guy, right? You know, not much is explicitly said about who Jonah is aside from him being the son of Amittai and being a prophet by virtue of the word of the Lord coming to him. Much more might actually be kind of inferred about what kind of person Jonah is. You know, just from these four chapters, we begin to get the sense that he is this ardent nationalist. That's to say that he's very pro-Israel and very anti-foreign, or at the very least anti-Assyrian. And we know that because the fourth and final chapter reveals Jonah's sentiment that led him to do the very, th- very thing that he did in the first chapter. Namely, run away from God's calling, or run away from grace. He didn't want to see grace being extended to this people group. He didn't want to see Nineveh saved. And so that's, that's who Jonah is. Here's what kind of sets Jonah apart. He's this minor prophet whose biography is the message. Like, we don't know much about Jonah's life. Uh, we, don't, or we don't need to know much about Jonah's life to be able to get at and appreciate the message itself, right? What happened before the word of the Lord came to Jonah in 1.1 and what happened after God spoke to Jonah in 4.11 is not important to the author's intent for us to understand what is going on in this story. What sets Jonah apart from these other minor prophets is that Jonah's personal experience and what he's kind of wrestling with in these four chapters is central to the message of the book. And it's kind of different from one of these other minor prophets. Like we just preached through Malachi, right? And that book was just a lot of thus says the Lord, a lot of what God is telling the people of Israel through the prophet Malachi. And it's focused on what God is saying. But here, it's a little bit different. When we look at Jonah, the only really thus says the Lord that we get in Jonah is in chapter 3. And it's this measly, short sentence that Jonah proclaims to the city of Nineveh. In Hebrew, it's actually only five, five words. And the rest of the book is about Jonah's experience in all of this. 
And so the, the book is, is written about Jonah biographically rather than reflecting primarily the message he preached. The biography is a message. Here's another thing that I think is interesting with what is happening as we work our way through the, this book. It's how the story is laid out. In chapters 1 and 3, we see Jonah and the pagans, right? The sailors and the king of Nineveh, specifically these people, right? In chapters 2 and 4, we see Jonah and his prayers, and so there's this contrast in both cases. With the, with the pagans, it's this contrast between Jonah's selfishness compared to the pagans' humility and repentance. With the prayers, you get Jonah praying in chapter 2, showing gratitude for being delivered. And then in chapter 4, he chews, God, he chews God out for being too nice, for delivering these other people. And so this gets at something that's interesting happening in the book of Jonah. It's almost as if there's this distinct narrative style, as the author writes it, almost satirical in a way, as he recounts these events that happened in Israel's history, where the author has these stereotyped characters who do the opposite of what they would be stereotyped to do. And so you have the prophet, right? In, in Malachi, which we just preached to, you have this this Mal- uh, Malachi, this prophet who's bringing God's word and he's helping to, to train up and correct God's people. But here you have this prophet who is this man of God who rebels, who runs away and hates or is angry at his own God for loving his an- enemies. You have the sailors who have the reputation of being incredibly immoral, but yet in Jonah their hearts are soft and repentant and they at least turn to God. You have a powerful king over this entire nation who ends up humbling himself before God because of Jonah's five-word sermon. And if you want to add to that, you could count the cows too because there's a section there where even the cows repent. Probably not literally, but it's, you know, they're part of the process of this nation's act of repenting. So what's the point of, uh, of saying all this? I think it has to do with the message and purpose of Jonah, right? That it's about Jonah, but it's also about God. I think oftentimes when you think about Jonah, we sometimes might be uh, inclined to reduce the book of Jonah to this simplistic and moralistic story. Right? Be like Jonah. Go and do likewise. Go and do evangelism, missions, and outreach, and go. In fact, I think there's some children's stories that, that kind of leave out chapter 4 with the plan, they kind of end on Jonah chapter 3. Why? I mean, wouldn't it be easier to end the story there? Right? God tells Jonah to do something. Jonah doesn't want to do it. It really doesn't matter what his reason is because we're just going to project our own reason onto him. And so he runs away. And then God disciplines him, right? Chapter 2, rescues him from his own poor choice. God pursues after him again, and this time Jonah obeys. And so then we get to chapter 3, and he goes to Nineveh, and guess what? Nineveh obeys and repents. The end. I think when we portray it that way sometimes, what happens? Who's the story about? Jonah. Who's the hero? Jonah. Who should we be like? Jonah. But I think this story is so much more deeper and richer than that. Like when we include chapter 4, we are faced with, without a doubt, about Jonah's true motives for why he fled from God. Like he hated the fact that God was truly consistent in being merciful and patient, 
specifically when it came to other nations, other people groups, other peoples and his own. And so on one level, the, the message of Jonah could be boiled down to like, you know, don't be like Jonah. But on another level, this book is not just about Jonah. It's primarily about God. It's showing, it's pointing to who God is. What is God really like? Because what, what happens to Jonah, what happens to Nineveh, all of it happens precisely because of who God is and what he's like. That's why when we did our responsive reading, every time we responded, it was, for the Lord our God is a gracious and merciful God, full of compassion, slow to anger, relenting from disaster. The main question of the book, then, is this. What right do you have to be angry? The story doesn't give us Jonah's answer. It kind of just ends on that question. But that's not the point, I think. The story, in fact, leaving it open-ended, invites us to consider that question as well. Invites us to engage with what God says and what he is doing over the course of salvation history. The point is that the book is challenging us. Are we okay with God loving our enemies? Right? Maybe, again, we might not say, oh, I don't have any enemies. I'm a, I'm a decent guy or decent person. Like, I, don't, I get along with most people. But maybe, again, maybe there's certain people that we don't get along with. Or maybe there's certain groups of people or types of people that we're like, hmm, I really really don't want to talk to them. I really, really don't want to show grace, or I don't want God to show grace to them. They're not deserving of it. The book holds a mirror up to us so that in Jonah we see the worst parts of ourselves magnified, and that should, I think, when we reflect on it, generate in us a humility and a gratitude that God would love his enemies, including us, and put up with a Jonah in all of us. And so the story is this message about the wideness of God's mercy that challenges us right down to the core. And I think once we kind of encounter his mercy and his grace, how are we going to respond? What do we do with that? Will we sit and stay or will we arise and go? So I'm going to end with this, a brief kind of breakdown of Jonah. We've called this sermon series in Jonah Running from grace. Running from grace. Jonah wanted a gracious God whose grace was reserved for his people alone. So because of that, he didn't want to get up and go. And I think this ties into the big idea for us of the entire book of Jonah, that those who experience God's grace must extend his grace. In the specific context of Extending that grace is to the very people who we might all too naturally react towards with a judgmental spirit. Again, we might not be as bad as Jonah. That's also not a great standard of measurement. (laughs) The very act of extending that grace to look at Jonah is really to proclaim the gospel, not to withhold it from anyone, to withhold God's grace, to withhold the proclamation of the gospel. No, it's not that, but it's to proclaim God's message of salvation and to call for repentance. So here's the focus verse. If we're going to remember one verse, you know, just like in children's ministry, uh, memorizing our verses, one verse to remember as we go through this book, Jonah 4, 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said 
when I was yet in my country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So over the next few weeks, this is how the book of Jonah is kind of broken down. There's this tension between Jonah's readiness to experience grace, right, to be delivered from the depths of the sea through this fish. Thank you, God, for saving me. And there's a tension between that and then later on his refusal to extend that grace to the people of Nineveh. So chapter 1, God's called Jonah to be an agent of grace. Chapter 2, Jonah himself is rescued by God's grace. He's ready to receive it. Thank you, God, for saving me. Chapter 3, Nineveh is rescued by God's grace. And chapter 4, Jonah's anger at God's gift of grace. His refusal, he didn't really want to extend it. That's why he ran away. The very grace that he first experienced himself. He's trying to keep for himself, for his people. Again, I think this is the challenge for us this morning, today. Those who experience God's grace must extend it. Now, and I think with all of this in mind, I think we're ready to dive into Jonah over these next few weeks. So I invite you to, to continue to reflect on these truths. Let it marinate in our minds and most importantly our hearts as we consider the powerful and good, great news of God's grace to us and to others as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for you are a gracious God and merciful. And that grace and mercy is meant and extended to us and extended to others and help us to live in light of that truth. We give you praise and thanks for all your goodness, grace, mercy, blessings towards us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.